Hey guys, this is the C3 Church Malmo podcast. I am believing God will speak to you today and that a greater level of faith will be unlocked in your life. For more information about C3 Church, go to c3malmo.se. God bless. We suffer very subtle forms of persecution. We can't get bank loans as churches. Our colleagues aren't indifferent to our faith. They are very anti-our faith. Um, and so we don't really face a serious form of persecution as a church at all. A little bit of graffiti on the outside of the building, but that is nothing compared to our brothers and sisters in North Africa and the Middle East where we see so many C3 churches being established and the persecution that they face. But I just wanted to make the point, and that is persecution's goal is to produce fear. And the problem with fear is you can't be in faith if you're in fear. They are opposites. And so I want to encourage you today, just as we were praying with Justin just right now, that we don't allow ourselves to slide into a passive posture, but actually step into a proactive, front-footed posture and not allow uncertainty, the uncertainty of our circumstances right now create a, a spirit of fear in our own lives or family. And can I encourage you, husbands and wives and, and wherever you are, colleagues and friends, just to encourage each other to stir up that gift of faith within all of us and take a stand within ourselves and for our family and, and be praying against the spread of this virus. We have that power and authority in our lives. And so I just wanted to touch on that, just bouncing out of that prayer. I just thought it was brilliant. And so today I want to continue in part two of a series I started two weeks ago called Healing on Purpose. But it's hard for me to jump into this without mentioning what an incredible weekend we had last weekend with Pastor Anna Borkent from C3 Rivers in Holland. Uh, absolutely tremendous, awesome potluck food. The food was incredible. We definitely have to do that more often. But what a wonderful uh, experience we had with the all leaders at our house uh, on that uh, Saturday night. But the service was brilliant. The worship was out of this world. And the food was to die for. But brilliant weekend. And we've got some many more great weekends coming up. But the weekend before that, I started the series called Healing on Purpose because I had just come back from a City Hearts conference in Sheffield, the UK. And City Hearts is about helping people with, uh, that are in human trafficking in the sex industry that have uh, life-forming uh, patterns and trends in their life that really do harm them and, and try to help them. And so I want to do a part two to that. And so to do that, I need to just rewind a little bit and uh, review a little bit of what I talked about last week and then bounce into the whole principle of compassion and unpack compassion a little bit around this. And so as a church, the two things that we, we cast vision for this year was to launch our second location in C3 in Lund City, which is just up the road, which is very exciting, but also launching City Hearts and taking steps towards becoming a charity and start working with people in this area. And a part of that vision, of course, was Susan and I buying the house that we bought for that purpose. And so when I went to this conference a couple of weeks ago now, um, I, I met the founder of City Hearts in, in the C3 European Conference in Switzerland and, and just got chatting and, and shared our heart and what we were doing. And they invited us to come to Sheffield and be a part of that conference. And I really didn't know what to expect. There was 50 people there, but here's the thing. 
They were from 12 nations from all over the world, from New Zealand, from Sri Lanka, from Canada, from parts of Europe. And they really unpacked their story and their journey over the 15 years that they've been going. And today, they are recognized as one of the most significant charities in the UK at addressing this human trafficking problem. They have nine safe houses throughout the UK and 160 people on staff, and they have ministered to thousands of people. And tonight, uh, this morning, we will uh, hear one of those stories. And so I want to bounce out of that into how God brings healing into this world. And as, as his children, as his sons and daughters, there's different contexts in which he heals us. And, and I, I shared my journey growing up in the kind of family I grew up in, and that I had to pursue a level of healing in my life to be able to live a whole and balanced life before God and before others. And, and that I actually had to pursue, I spent quite a few years outside of Australia pursuing a level of healing in my life. And so there's a couple of contexts that we can find God working in our lives around healing. The first one, obviously, is the prayer, the powerful prayer of the Holy Spirit of healing and seeing a miraculous sign of wonder in someone's life instantaneously. Now, we believe in that. That's awesome. It's exciting to see somebody healed through the power of prayer and the application of God's Word. And that's, that's awesome. The second one was the healing through discipleship. The healing through discipleship. That is the application of His Word in our lives. It is what the Scriptures call the renewing of our mind or the renewing of our lives and walking with another, a life-on-life relationship Applying this word to our lives brings adjustment, brings healing in a very powerful way. And the third one I mentioned was the culture of healing. The culture of healing. That's not saying that the culture is specifically focused on healing, but healing can, uh, the culture can bring healing. That in this church, so many people have talked about the freedom they have felt in the context of this church. That in this atmosphere of faith and grace and empowerment, that people find themselves slowly getting healed. It's a wonderful thing when we see the the fruits of the Holy Spirit at work in people's lives and, and bringing wholeness to people's lives. And so those three things really, when it comes to healing, are all about me. The power of prayer of the Holy Spirit bringing healing. I've experienced that. That was about me. The healing through discipleship is about me. And of course, what I experience in the culture of this church and so many other churches, when I experience a wholeness taking place in my life, when I come into the presence of God, is still about me. And so I want to touch on something that really is not about me at all when it comes to healing. And that's out of 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14. It's an incredibly challenging passage. I'm profoundly challenged by it. To me, it's a command. God is not making a suggestion. If you do this, this will occur. So many things that God wants to do in our lives require an action on our point. And then it says this in verse 14. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear them from heaven and forgive their sins and restore their land to bring healing and transformation to our city in Malmö to bring healing and transformation to our colleagues, to our nation. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear them 
I will hear them and I will forgive them their sins and restore. He's not saying if the sinners stop sinning. He's not saying if the people in authority stop making unwise choices, I will heal the land. He is saying if you and me would humble ourselves, turn from our wicked ways, he will hear our prayers and heal our land. He will bless our land. There will be an abundance in our land. There will be a favor in our land. That's what we're looking for when it comes to the ultimate in God's healing. And there's so many examples of this in Scripture. We see it in Nehemiah, one of the core stories for this church, the story of Nehemiah. He was, the, he was a righteous man. He was an upright man, the Bible says of him. He was the, the taste tester for the king. He tasted his drink, his wine. He tasted his, his fika, his food. Uh, he would have been actually very close to the king. He would have been by the king's side pretty much all the time. Now, when it comes to the king, he's a, quite a self-centered person. He's all about what he wants, and he wants an atmosphere that's a little bit up in, the, in his courts. He doesn't want people that are depressed, that are kind of kicking the dog and walking around like they've been sucking on lemons. He wants people that are a little bit up and bringing energy into the court. But here this one day, Nehemiah was given some very grave news and it really brought a depression on him and an anxiety on him. But he still had to do his job. He still had to go and stand next to the king. The king would have felt his attitude, his depression. You see, here's the problem. If you don't do what the king wants and, set, and do what he expects, there's a good chance you'll lose your job or be killed. And Nehemiah knew that. But still, he had no choice. He was overwhelmed with grief. And he's standing there next to the king, and the king goes, what's going on, Nehemiah? How are you? What's, what's happening? Tell me about what's happening in your world. And Nehemiah says to him, king, my people are a mess. Jerusalem's walls have fallen down. The buildings are in ruins, and the enemies are just coming and going as they please, raping and pillaging the city. God's honor is dishonored. And it is a great burden to me. See, here's the example that Nehemiah sets for us in reference to Second Chronicles. He started to pray to God to forgive us for we have sinned. He went to pray for his city, Jerusalem, and the people of his city. And he did not pray, God, forgive them for their sin. May we see the city restored. He said, forgive us. Forgive us. Like we see in Second Chronicles, it says, "That will seek my seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Turn from their wicked ways." He's talking to you and me, and Nehemiah understood that principle, and he said, "Will you forgive us, God? It is out of compassion, placing ourselves into their circumstance and." putting their shoes on and gathering with them arm in arm and say, God, will you forgive us? It's an interesting illustration of what Christ did at Calvary for us. We had sinned and we couldn't atone for it. We couldn't pay for it. And he became flesh and stood before the Father and said, would you forgive us? And so God right there through Chronicles, Second Chronicles, has given us a whole new benchmark of reaching our nation, a whole new level of reaching into our cities, a whole new level of prayer and intercession and seeking Him to reach and bring healing to this land. 
And he says, he's asking us, will you step into the shoes of the people that call C3, uh, that call Malmo home? Will you step into the highways and byways, into the apartment buildings and say, Lord, forgive us. Heal our land. And that's the challenge to me today. And I want to challenge you with that today. As we step into the ministry of City Hearts and start to see that built. It's such an incredible prayer of humility. There's so much power that is wrapped up in that compassion that says, I can stand with my brothers and sisters in the city and ask the Lord to forgive us. You see, when you look at Scripture, a good measuring stick, a good measuring mark of how much we love God is by how much we love the world around us, love the people around us. The Bible says you cannot love God and hate your brother. You can't be in broken relationship with somebody and say that you love God. You see, it's a reflection. Every time we have a spiritual encounter with God, it's got to be reflected in our natural world around us. It has to have an outworking. My relationship with him has to be coming here and here. The conduit has to be open. The tap has to be turned so there's a flow into our society. He's given us this responsibility not to keep this salvation, not to keep this redemption to ourselves, but to share it amongst our colleagues, our family, our friends, our cities, our, our nations. Wherever the Bible says Jesus was moved with compassion, we see that in Matthew chapter 9. Jesus was moved with compassion. I, I see two words there that jump out to me. Firstly, Jesus was moved. So much of what God has for us and is in our lives, He wants to move us. When we come into worship, He wants to move us. He wants to capture our hearts and capture our emotions and, and move us. But when Jesus saw a need, so many times in Scripture we see He was moved with compassion. And every time He was moved with compassion, He healed people, He fed people, He released captives and set the prisoners free. Every time Jesus was moved with compassion... There was an action. There was an action as a result of his moving with compassion. And to, as I can head towards the end of my message, I just want to unpack that moving with compassion and what that looks like. You see, one of the challenges we have in our world is that we have compassion overload. Our empathy ability is numbed by the overwhelming need in our world. One of the definitions of compassion is sympathy, pity, or concern. All emotional responses, but Jesus transcends all of that and takes that emotion and turns it into action. You see, the difference between sympathy and compassion, sympathy massages the person in their need. It's okay. You'll be okay. Compassion finds a way out pays the price, takes the time, spends the money and finds a path out. There's a destination with compassion. There's an action that's associated with compassion. 
I've got to tell you, we cannot exaggerate God's heart that is expressed through compassion. Every time Jesus was moved with compassion, he was expressing the passion that God has for every single person in our city. Every time Jesus was moved with compassion, we can't exaggerate God's goodness, God's passion, God's willingness to bring wholeness to the people in our world. When Jesus launched his ministry, he made a declaratory statement which included this phrase. He talked about setting the prisoners free. He talked about setting the captives free. He talked about both of these things. You see, the difference between a prisoner and a captive is quite clear. A prisoner a prisoner is held captive by somebody else, if that makes sense to you. Whereas a captive is in bondage. Sorry, let me just say that again. A captive is in bondage because of somebody else's persecution and sin, whereas a prisoner is in bondage because of their own foolishness and sin. And so a captive is held captive by somebody or something, whereas a prisoner is there of their own accord because of their own wrongdoing. And Jesus has come to set both of them free. That's how amazing his grace is. He doesn't go, oh, well, <laughs> you got yourself in this mess, you better take care of it to the prisoner and just set the captive free. He says it to both of them. He has a grace that covers both aspects. And we've got this video from City Hearts where this young lady shares this incredible story of being set free. Let's just play that now. I was born in Nigeria. Growing up, I was starved, beaten and abused. My life was regularly threatened. I ran away in fear of my life. It was there I met a lady who took me in and looked after me. She said she would help me and would take me to the UK for training. I was taken to the north of England. I was forced to sleep with men who regularly came to the house. She told me this was now my life. On many occasions, I became pregnant. When I did, my auntie would give me strong medicines, along with a lot of alcohol, and use a metal hanger to remove the fetus. At the age of 21, I escaped. Or got into a relationship with a man who was controlling and abusive. I became pregnant. I will spend days, days in the house with my two young children, freezing and with no money for food. I felt I had no choice but to secretly sleep with men to get enough money to eat. 
Eventually, we were thrown out of the house after the man realized what I was doing. It was then I was, I was referred to City Hearts as a victim of human trafficking. I was in a dark place, being part of a deal with something, always having to be given in return. With the help of City Hearts and counseling, I have gone from survival and just getting through each day to living. I'm living my life and I'm full of hope. I don't know what the future holds, but I'm, but I'm hopeful. My, my daughter said to me this morning, Mommy, you're a superwoman. And I was, I was able to reply, Yes, I am. Wow. I'm not sure. I'm sure every one of you will incredibly moved by that story but that's what we're looking at with City Hearts here in Sweden and that's why I'm preaching this message today is to capture your heart that all of us will be moved with compassion and here's the thing about compassion as I mentioned earlier we can kind of experience a compassion overload with the needs in our world that we can see a documentary on Netflix or see a something on our Facebook feed or, or, or whatever it is, and yet it's just another need in my world that I feel like I can do nothing about. It's like we get all this stimuli of need that becomes like a cloud hanging over us that there's something I, I really wish I could do, but somehow I feel empower, disempowered to do anything about it. It's like the compassion struggles to find a place to land in our hearts. It struggles to find a direction to take a first step. And so I want to encourage you today that you will join with us as we take that first step together. That as we step into establishing City Hearts as a charity, as we step into looking at ministry opportunities throughout the city, in just a little while we're going to be bringing in a ministry that's already existing in the city of Malmo and get them to share around human, tra human trafficking and prostitution in just a little while. But I want to encourage you today, when we look at compassion, taking action, as we see in Jesus' example, when we recognize how do we filter that sense of, I need to respond to this, how do we filter that down into our today, into our week, into our month and our year? How do I make what I feel in my heart an answer to a problem? Well, we can kind of filter it down to a question that says, what if I did this? And that can be coupled with an element of frustration that you don't see enough being done in this area. Or it can be coupled with an element of your sweet spot, your sense of fulfillment. I'm, I'm really interested in helping in this area and bringing those two motivations together and creating a positive outcome that asks the question, what if we did something in this area? What it, could it look like in three years from now, if I took a step today in this direction. And so this got me thinking, how is it that Susan and I bought this huge house? How is it that we find ourselves connected with an incredible ministry called City Hearts? And I reflected over my life, and you can find a red thread that goes through everything that we've done. Susan and I met when we were running Centrum of Hollywood. Interesting enough, Centrum of Hollywood. That's what it was called. 
on Hollywood Boulevard, rescuing street kids and bringing them into a home where we fed them and cleaned them and discipled them, encouraged them, empowered them, and broke them free from the cycle on the streets. When I visited a safe house in Sheffield with City Hearts, I had complete flashback to what we were running in Hollywood when I was 23 years old. And then when we were back in Australia, I remember hearing as a young man, this large church in Perth, Australia, that had started working in human trafficking. I really didn't, I'd never heard it before. I didn't understand the significance of what that meant. I didn't know, how do you do that? But somehow there was a seed planted back then that I've never forgotten. Somehow there was something there that got stuck in my heart. What if? What would it look like if I took a step in that direction? And then Susai and I went into a season of seeking God as to what we were to do with our lives. And, and finally, God asked me the question, which kind of irritated me because I was asking him the question, what do you want? And he said, well, what do you want? And I said something that reflected what Jesus said. I said, Father, I want to see the captive set free. I want to see the prisoner released. I want to see people healed and made whole and transformed and living their best life because of your grace and your love on their lives. And here we are establishing this church right here in Malmö, Sweden. And here we are, five years in the process of buying a house, testing God's will and purpose in it, recognizing God's time in it. And here we are connected to City Hearts. So don't be mistaken in thinking that this is just a kind of a knee-jerk, instant response. Hey, let's do this. No, God's purpose has been going for years and years and years for this. As we step back in time, if we go back 15 years and we go, Lord, we pray that you open doors and close doors according to your will and purpose in this area. I can trace back to all the doors that have been opened into the doors that have been closed that bring us to this day. So really, this is not the beginning. So let me encourage you today, C3 Church, let me encourage you today, will you take that first step with us? Will you join us as we continue to take steps to become a charity and, and, and knock on doors and build networks and relationships throughout this city and this nation? Will you give of yourself to bring healing to bring encouragement, to, to lay your life down for somebody else as Christ has done, that you will allow your compassion to move to action? Will you give financially to see this ministry established in this nation? Because this is the heart of God for the broken and the needy in this nation. Let's pray. If I could just ask the band to come up while we prepare for that. Lord Jesus, we just recognize your hand on this. We recognize that, Lord, when you were moved with compassion and you brought healing, when you were moved with compassion and fed the 5,000, when you were moved with compassion and taught and taught and taught, you're asking us to do the same, that it would be a reflection, an outworking of my relationship with God in heaven that we would bring His love and grace in such a tangible way, just like we heard this story from City Hearts, that we'll hear that story multiple times over the coming years. 
Lord, I pray that you would not only stir up a gift of faith in our church, that you would stir up a gift of compassion that becomes action in Jesus' name. That we would understand this passage out of Matthew 25, 35 to 40. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was a prisoner and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or a prisoner to visit? And the king will answer, I tell you the truth. When you, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you do it to me. You do it to me. This is the heart of God for us. That what we enjoy in this wonderful relationship with God in heaven would flow through our lives, through our families, through our hands and bring a tangible transformational change one life at a time. In Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, and we commit this journey of faith to you. We recognize that we are just taking first steps right now, but our confidence is in you. That we will look back at this day and recognize how much you have done. How you have used so many people that have put their hand up and said, Hey, use me. I'll take a step. Church, when I was in Sri Lanka, sorry, when I was at City Hearts in Sheffield, I sat next to a lady from Sri Lanka uh, that was at the City Hearts conference. She had flown in from Sri Lanka and she was a part of it. And, uh, and she and her husband pastor a church in Sri Lanka. And, and her story is quite simply this. As a young woman, she had a friend who had gathered half a dozen, maybe eight children off the streets, stricken to poverty to educate them and feed them and clean them and clothe them, to break the cycle of poverty in that town. And her friend would take care of them every single day and she just watched this happen before her eyes. And then suddenly one day, her friend said, look, I have to leave. Could you take care of these kids for me? It was never a thing on her heart. It never caught her attention more than the fact that her friend was doing it. But she said yes. She took that one step and took care of those half a dozen kids, teaching them, clothing them, breaking the cycle of poverty. And today, her and her husband pastor a church in Sri Lanka and are taking care of 5,000 children throughout Sri Lanka in all the different regions of that, of that nation. It takes one step to bring transformation that will impact so many lives. So let's do that together as a church. Can I encourage you as we're in this season that you pray for your church, that you stay connected in your church as we cannot gather together every Sunday. Can I encourage you to be proactive in maintaining connection and encouragement in Jesus' name.